0: Camilla and you're listening to the cat's whisker a time machine for all those who love rock and roll and want to know everything about it people stories and the music that changed the world in a few words it doesn't matter whether you've lived through those years or just like me you've always wondered what it was like I have loads of stories to tell and great music to play so let's roll Hello everybody, welcome back to The Cat's Whisker. I am Camilla and today, as usual, we're going to talk about music, a powerful tool, and rock and roll was probably the most powerful of them all. The first ever music genre to reach the masses of the whole planet in an era that allowed the youth to be free of their parents' lifestyle and where the new generation had more power than ever. Disney wave of rebellious, happy and optimistic youth was definitely threatening to the old school people in power. So much so that many songs were banned, many artists put in jail, and in some cases I'll tell you all about today, the FBI was so triggered that decided to start investigations around the meaning of some songs and the behavior of the artists. Let's kick things off with a hit for 1963, Louie Louie by The (laughs) Kingsmen. FBI went absolutely mental about its obscure lyrics. Louie Louie was a cover of a 1957 composition by Richard Berry that was actually inspired by an African-Cuban song by Rosendo Ruiz Jr. and then replicated by Rene Touze in his El Loco Cha Cha and that's the song that Richard Berry listens to and gets his idea for Louie Louie from making it initially like a Calypso type song. The composition is a first-person story told by a Jamaican sailor who is at a bar and is telling his bartender Louie how much he's looking forward to returning to the island and seeing his girl. So nothing really mysterious there, a very normal love song. And in fact, before being covered by the Kingsmen, the song was also recorded by Rockin' Robin Roberts and the Wailers. And it's with this version in mind that the Kings band decide to record Louie Louie as their second song in 1963. The studio setup was interesting to say the least though. The engineer wanted to capture a live music feeling and in order to achieve that effect, he placed a boom microphone in the center of the room. Now, try to sing louder than the drums. So not only the singer Jack Eli had to literally lean back and scream the song while standing on his toes to reach the microphone, but his voice was apparently already knackered from a very long concert the night before. Oh, and he was also wearing braces. Furthermore, what the band thought was a quick rehearsal turned out to be the only taken final song. And that's why, at 54 seconds, you can hear the drummer drop one of his sticks and exclaim, Fuck! And also the reason behind one of the most famous mistakes in music history, when the singer starts singing the verse too soon after the guitar solo at 1 minute and 57 seconds. Basically the perfect recipe for undecipherable lyrics. At first the record didn't sell well, not even a thousand copies. It was very messy after all, many consider it the pioneer of garage rock, but also a perfect disaster. The totally incomprehensible lyrics, the deafening cymbals and the eccentric guitar solo though make it a total gem. Not long after in fact it was picked up by a famous New York DJ to be in his worst record of the week segment and funnily enough, it became a hit. And that's when conspiracy theories started to fly all over the place. Some people started saying that they could hear profanities and indecent words when they played the record at a lower speed of 33 RPM. Now, I'm not Sherlock Holmes, but I'm pretty sure it doesn't work like that. And since no one was able to solve the mystery, parents everywhere started complaining and sending letters to Kennedy and FBI's chief, J. Edgar Hoover. The song was considered so dangerous that the feds worked on it for nearly two years. And thanks to the Freedom of Information Act, now the files about the case are available to the public. But since this is more than 100 pages long, don't worry, I read it for you. One concerned dad in February 1964 was so horrified that his daughter brought home pornographic material such as Louie Louie by the Kingsman that decided to write a letter to Robert Kennedy. And that's what he said. Dear Mr. Kennedy, where do you turn to when your teenage daughter buys and brings home pornographic or obscene materials being sold along with objects directed and aimed at the teenage market in every city, village and record shop in this nation. My daughter brought home a record of Louie Louie and I, after reading that the record had been banned from being played on the air because it was obscene, proceeded to try to decipher the jumble of words. The lyrics are so filthy, I cannot enclose them in this letter. I would like to see these people, the artists, the record company, and the promoters prosecuted to the full extent of the law. We all know there is obscene materials available for those who seek it, but when they start sneaking in this material in the guise of the latest teenage rock and roll hit record, these morons have gone too far. This land of ours, headed for an extreme state of moral degradation with what this record, the biggest hit movies and the sex and violence exploited on TV. How can we stamp out this menace? Question mark, question mark, question mark, question mark. And even a mother wrote a letter to J. Edgar Hoover. As a member of the General Federation of Women's Clubs, dedicated in the fight against pornography, this is how we, specifically the Flint Jr. Women's Club, became involved in the War of Legal Semantics. It all began this winter when a group of vocalists called the Kingsmen appeared at the local hall. They plugged their million-dollar record Louie Louie. In a matter of weeks, the record was selling like hotcakes and rising on the Top 40 show we became aware of the dual set of lyrics and that without a doubt someone had masterminded an auditory illusion. Our prosecuting attorney, with whom we consulted, said in his opinion there was nothing legally that can be done since he believed you cannot prove which set of lyrics they are singing. This seems rather irrelevant since they are capitalizing on its obscenity and when every teenager in the country heard the obscene, not the copywritten lyric. Our attempts to have something done about the record were met with frustration, but that is all prologue. We realize the damages done and the Louis Louis purveyors are getting away with setting a new precedent. That along with the movies, the magazines, the paperbacks, our kids will now be with a forefront, records. Our club would like to do something positive. Do you think a questionnaire to high school students will be of value? Find Finding out what cross-section of students reads, buys, thinks about the flood of obscene materials? Do you think such answers could be valuable? If you do think it has some merit, would you be willing to help us to construct a questionnaire? Perhaps I've asked all too many impertinent questions, but they are as genuine as is our concern for alarming rise in venereal disease, perversion, promiscuity and legitimate births in teen groups. Is there a correlation to the alarming rise in the access to obscene materials by this same group? I can only say, as a teenager, if my mom was the person that contacted the feds and got them to write a questionnaire for my whole high school about porn, I would probably want to bury myself forever. But the craziest thing to me is that people tried to make up the lyrics without even checking the original version of the song, which I mean there were plenty of covers as well. Many of the FBI papers report interviews with high school students and different transcriptions of the song, and there were so many because at some point kids started making up the most obscene verses and sold them to their classmates. (laughs) Back to when TikTok wasn't a thing, this is what kids were up to. FBI agents used to follow the Kingsmen and watch their shows to make sure nothing inappropriate was happening. And besides the actual annoyance of it all, isn't it cool being in a rock and roll band and knowing that the feds spend hours and hours trying to figure out what you're trying to say in a song? I smelled the rose in her hair became, I felt my bone in her hair, and so on. The investigation was closed when, after 18 months, they realized the words are so hard to understand that basically the profanities were in the listener's mind, but of course not in the original intentions of the Kingsmen. But let's be honest here, what really propelled an investigation was the popularity of a song that adults couldn't control. It was played by five brace-wearing teenagers from Portland and it landed on the desks of the FBI. Youngsters recorded an intelligible song for high schoolers that danced and played it back again and again. It was a new world that no one could understand. But I think actor Richard Dreyfuss said it all. They can't sing, and they have absolutely no harmonics. They're playing the same chord over and over again. And I love it. Fast forward to the Vietnam War, one of the most delicate moments in US history. The FBI was obviously working overtime to make sure nothing un-American was happening right beneath their noses. And that involved, interestingly enough, even surveilling the monkeys. Yes, you've heard me right. The monkeys. One of the least threatening bands one can ever think of. The file is available, but mostly censored, and the case has been closed pretty much immediately. But what was the suspicious act they were guilty of? It all happened during the 1967 tour. While the guys, described by the feds as beatnik types, were playing their music, some screens behind them on stage were showing subliminal messages, or well, as it says in the file, left-wing innovations of political nature. Allow me to translate this for you. The screens were showing pictures of the riots in Berkeley, anti-Vietnam War messages and images of the racial riots in Selma, Alabama. The file states that the audience had an unfavorable response to this stunt. The investigation was closed pretty much straight away, but if you look up the monkeys on the FBI vault though, you'll notice that the remaining information on this file is completely redacted. The only living member of the group, Mickey Dollis, is on the case, and even after his request to view the document in its entirety have been rejected, he's still trying to discover the truth once and for all. No one though was the radar of the FBI like our dear old John Lennon. Interestingly enough, there are files about the Beatles as well, but mostly because someone sent a letter to one of their concert's promoters, threatening to throw a hand grenade instead of Jelly Babies during their show in Colorado. But when it comes to John Lennon, well, oh boy, did they not like him. And we all know that he was considered public enemy number one for the power and influence that he had, but today I want to tell you about a song in particular that really pissed the FBI off big time. On December the 10th, 1971, Lennon performed in Ann Arbor at the University of Michigan for the Freedom Rally in favor of poet John Sinclair who after being found with two joints was sentenced to 10 years in prison. Lennon obviously wasn't the only artist who protested against Sinclair's imprisonment, but clearly the FBI was always hungry for drama when it came to him. While at the rally, Lennon decided to play his brand new song, John Sinclair. And the fact that not only the lyrics clearly ask for the poet to be released, but include even anti-war messages and mentions powerful American figures, guaranteed a special place for John in the FBI's heart. The poet was released just a few days later, proving the power of bringing the public and artists together, and how dangerous it can be for the establishment. And since the 1972 presidential elections were the first ones where the voting age was lower to 18, Nixon and his campaigners had to make sure that the ex-Beatle wasn't going to create too much hassle. And well, if you heard Give Me Some Truth, it's fair to say Lenin didn't like Nixon. Plans to stop Lenin from organizing protest concerts were made. He was followed pretty much all the time by the immigration office that tried very, very hard to deport him without success. And even if he didn't accomplish all his plans, his activism, his will to fight was pretty much present in all of his production. I want to end this episode with an interesting tidbit. So, we talked about the FBI and how the power of music became a dangerous matter during the 60s. But did you know that the CIA actually uses music as a torture device? Today's prisoners, the CIA, uses a technique called sound disorientation. Essentially, they keep the person detained and chained up in a dark room with loud noises or music playing for hours and hours on end. And this has been proven to disorient the prisoner that gets more and more scared and, I mean, it would break anyone's willpower and the ability to think straight. And what music do they choose? That's actually pretty interesting. Since some prisoners might not be used to western music, their torture might be the same heavy metal song played on repeat or a religious song, or a theme song from a kids' show. Some of the most used have been, and now I want you to imagine listening to the same song in a loop for like 10 days, Baby One More Time by Britney Spears, Bodies by Drowning Pool, Enter Sandman by Metallica, Die Motherfucker Die by Dope, and several songs by Eminem like White America, Kim and the Real Slim Shady. Born in the USA by Bruce Springsteen, Saturday Night Fever by the Bee Gees. We the Champions by Queen, Raspberry Beret by Prince, Rawhide by the Blues Brothers, and the theme song from Barney and Friends, and other kids songs or adverts songs. Honestly, I think it's very personal, but I think that the song that would torture me the most would be Wicked Games by Chris Isaac. I don't know why, I just don't like it at all. Or even worse, um, I think Naughty Boy by La 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 and Sam Smith, which honestly is just horrendous. And, and and I think that would probably make me want to tell all my secrets on the spot, even if, if you play it once, probably. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode. I really want to know what your song of choice would be for a torture session. Um, And I thought I would actually say these. But please don't leave me here. Don't leave me hanging. I really want to know what you would choose. Don't make me feel bad about (laughs) the songs that I just mentioned. And in the meantime, you can actually follow me on social media. At the Cats Whisker on TikTok. And at the Cats Whisker podcast on Instagram. And I'll see you next week. Ciao.